It's not always easy to find the positive. You might even need to search for happiness. Sometimes, just a little inspiration can make the difference. Here, it comes from unexpected places. Welcome to the Tangential Inspiration Podcast. Hi, I'm Teresa. And I'm Amy. We are two ordinary moms looking for inspiration wherever we can find it. Oh my gosh. So we're like two weeks in and we have over 500 downloads. I know. I can't believe it. I, yeah. So we have, we said after we got 500 downloads, we were going to get a world map. And so I got the map and we're going to get some push pins. And I'm so excited to start putting in little pins with where people are listening. Oh, totally. I love it. um, If you have any stories or people that you want to suggest, make sure that you email us at tangentialinspiration at gmail.com so that we can check out your stories and get inspired by you guys. Oh my gosh, I'm just blown away that people are, and humbled, that people would take the time to listen to us. So, very appreciative, and thank you, thank you. Yeah, thanks so much. A few weeks ago, we chatted about Dolly Parton and her imagination library. Yeah. And I guess there is a an ice cream company in Ohio that is making a special flavor. Oh. Jenny's Splendid Ice Cream is making a flavor in honor of the Queen of Country because they, according to their website, unstoppable force for good with oh. power to bring people together. Oh, so true. Delicious. Yeah. Absolutely true. But the flavor is strawberry pretzel pie. Ah. Very interesting. Yeah. Uh, So it's got a salty pretzel streusel with a cream cheese ice cream and then lipstick red strawberry (laughs) sauce, which is very appropriate for Dolly Parton. But all the proceeds go to the Imagination Library, which is super cool. Yeah. And they only have limited amounts and they are, they go on sale April 8th. People can go to jennies.com, J-E-N-I-S.com. If they want to order Dolly Parton's flavor for her imagination, I might do that. I know. I think it's pretty cool. Two weeks ago, I think in episode 13, you were talking about the amazing women of basketball. And I guess I had basketball on the brain. Because have you heard about that sister, Jean, the chaplain for the men's basketball team at Loyola? Not at all. Oh. Nothing. No. Okay. Well, no. she is a feisty nun who's 101. Oh my. <laughs> I saw a blurb on my favorite show, The Today. The Today Show. And I know I watch that show too much. But no, anyways, you do not. No, no. That's how I start my morning. Yeah. Um, it's a good start. She was talking about how serious she is about watching the game and like, don't bug her. Like, at all. The nun. The nun. Like when she's watching, <laughs> she's awesome. decked out in everything <laughs> in her, and don't bother in her. colors. Her. Oh, that's so funny. But even more than being an enthusiastic fan, she's their chaplain since 1994 and prays with the team Mm -hmm. before the game. So cute. And (laughs) she became first known uh, as the basketball nun in 2018 because she accompanied uh, Loyola to their unlikely road to the Final Four. Hmm. Which is kind of cool. Makes me want to look up her Instagram account yeah. and see a picture. She's really, really cute. And this, I love this. She walks the halls of Loyola saying hi to students, sometimes startling them from their phones <laughs> or listening to music. And she says it's her way of spreading joy. And her, she says, that's the way I am. I have to be myself. I tell the students, you'll still people that you admire. You can do some of the things they do. 
but you have to be yourself. Oh, I love that. God made you the person who you are. I just love her spirit yeah. and her joy. And feistiness, it so sounds feisty. like. she's Yeah, so cute. Very cute. And we were still in the month of March and celebrating National Women's Month. And I decided to learn more about Eleanor Roosevelt. Which you know is super exciting to me because I have always admired her. Love to learn. Yeah. I mean, after researching the last two women, Melinda Gates and Maria Goff, um, from previous episodes, Eleanor just popped up. I was really intrigued by the other women and their strength and who they are as women, their philanthropic work, their partnership with their husbands. And Eleanor had the same kind of relationship with her husband and is often referred to as FDR's ears, legs, and conscious. Mm. I, lo- I mean, it yeah. really kind of speaks to who she is. Yeah. Just a background, Eleanor was born in New York, October 10th, 1884, to an affluent family, yet she had her share of hardships. She had two younger brothers. Sadly, one died of diphtheria. What was diphtheria? Well, yeah, it's, I'm sure we... it's acute, contagious bacterial disease mm-hmm. causing inflammation in your mucous membranes. Oh. It's, and it actually, you form a lining mm-hmm. in the throat, and mm-hmm. so it makes it difficult to breathe, to breathe yeah. and swallow, and then... Mm-hmm. It leads to heart failure and can cause nerve damage. And there's also toxins um, creating your blood. But fortunately, we have a vaccine now. Mm -hmm. But they didn't have that back then. And then her mom called her granny because she was so quiet and serious. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, and and her Which reminds me of my youngest because his friends call him dad. Oh, okay. Because he's like... Very mature. Very and mature, always, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, and I think kind of funny. her mom was cold. And so Eleanor mm-hmm. kind of developed a closer relationship with her father. And when she was around six, her father took her on Thanksgiving to visit a home built by Eleanor's grandfather for poor boys called the Newsies. These boys would sell newspapers to earn money. Some even dropped out of school so they could uh, sell more papers. Wasn't there a movie? There's a movie, okay. too. I yeah. Need to, I need to look at more yeah. movies. Yeah, yeah. So Eleanor and her father brought a meal for these boys, and it impacted her greatly and sparked her desire to help others. And I just love at such a young age, she had that empathy, mm-hmm. you know, for others. Well, I love that her know? dad thought about it. Yeah. To take them I mean, to take the meals. Exactly. Yeah. And then tragedy hit Eleanor when she was seven. Her mom passed away also from diphtheria. Wow. And then her dad two years later from alcoholism. Mm. So she was forced to care for her younger brother, Hall, and kind of fell into a quiet dream world where she read a lot. Mm-hmm. It's kind of by herself. And then her aunt Tissy sent her to Allenswood School in London, which was like life changing for Eleanor. The director of the school, Madame Suvestra, I had my daughter help me with the French, <laughs> yeah. took a That's special liking so to pretty. Eleanor and just really encouraged her. Mm-hmm. Madame Suvestra not, was not only educating these young women, but she was training them to be leaders, which that just I thought was really. Incredible because given That's the time kind of where it started, yeah, for give, her, yeah, exactly. And at Ellenswood, Eleanor became confident and flourished in her studies. Not too long after completing her studies, she returned back to New York, mm-hmm. and on a commuter train, she met FDR. So she's probably you know eighteen, nineteen. Oh, okay, met him, and they fell in love, and then they kind of kept their romance a secret because FDR's mother didn't want them to marry so young. So they waited a year. Which, eighteen at that age That's isn't that typical, young back but, in that day, but, but maybe maybe from yeah. her perspective, yeah. I don't know. So they waited, and then they got married. And her uncle, President Teddy Roosevelt, walked her down the aisle, 
And then they immediately had kids. They had six kids right away. Wow, yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, one died at seven months. Mm. I know. So, so I think there's a lot of sickness yeah. and death, and we yeah. didn't have the medicines yeah. or the vaccines like we do today. Yeah. So that's uh, why they had a lot of kids. Yeah, exactly. Because not all of them would survive. Sadly. Like, it's really sad that yeah. that would even be in your. But yeah, in 1910, FDR began his political career. The Democrats asked him to run for New York State Senate, and Eleanor encouraged him to speak out to the people literally. He bought a car and drove around <laughs> every village in upstate New York, which was a really uncommon way to campaign back yeah. then. And of I course, he, what they did before that. I, I think it wasn't, you didn't, I don't think there was so much of that face to face. At least it's what was kind of described. In, hmm. I'm mm-hmm. not really sure how back they campaigned, the day. but that'd be something to mm-hmm. look into. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, he won. And then, really sadly, shortly, a couple of years later is when he, at 39, he fell ill to polio. Which, wow, 39. Yeah, he, was he was so, so young. Totally young. Wow. Yeah, I didn't realize that until. I thought it was later. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, his mother really encouraged him to give up politics. but Because El- of what? It was, like, because of his yeah, health issues? Okay. because of his health issues. She's like, stay home and just yeah. collect stamps. Because I guess yeah. that was one of his things he enjoyed doing oh. is stamp collecting. Oh, okay. But Eleanor encouraged him to continue, and I think that's kind of where their partnership really developed. Mm-hmm. Eleanor had already become a respected member of the Democratic Party, which I think is so amazing. Especially she, in the day. I know. And she gave speeches for FDR. Yeah. So people would kind of remember him while he was recuperating. I mean, it took a couple years for him to get back out there. Mm-hmm. Which we don't even think about that because I just... We think like six a month. Yeah. But back Pops. then, I think things t- took longer. In 1928, he ran for governor of New York, and he really counted on Eleanor's help, especially with the women voters. Mm -hmm. She gave speeches to women's leagues, and FDR reliance on Eleanor, again, was an integral part of their partnership. So it was really unusual, given the time period, for a husband to rely on his wife in such a way. And and it was unusual for a woman to be out there like that. I mean, she would be home taking care of... You know, the kids and the meals and And I think she was doing some of this and doing this, right, too. Right, right, right. But it's amazing. So she really acted as a surrogate. Since FDR was wheelchair-bound, it was difficult for him to get around. She'd visit the, the prisons, the hospitals, the orphanages, mm-hmm. and the hospitals for the mentally ill, and then report back to him. In 1932, Franklin Delano Roosevelt ran for president and won the election. And Eleanor would be a very different first lady than any of the previous, defining the modern-day first lady. You know, prior first ladies would host teas and parties. Instead, Eleanor wanted to help people and prove would approach the role very differently. I love this. I know. Because rather than just being like a picture or, you know, photo op type of thing, this is actually getting out there and helping the people. Yeah, she totally uh, she visited the tenements. The crowded buildings were poor lived. Oftentimes, entire families lived in one room. Children of these families would start work as young as eight. Oh, I mean, that's really, yeah, it's pretty devastating. Porters would follow her around and write about what she saw. The uh, start of Franklin's presidency was during the Great Depression. Yeah. And yeah, and she was instrumental in creating awareness of the struggles of many Americans at the time. And this lady's busy. The, you know, she <laughs> yeah. had a newspaper column in my day where she wrote about her thoughts and opinions. And I love this. During that first year as First Lady, she invited American people to write back to her through her newspaper column. She received 300,000 letters. Oh, my goodness. She and her secretary replied to everyone. 
Now, I did look a little bit into that, and mm-hmm. some of them were kind of form, mm-hmm. but there was some that but she, still, she wrote individually. Yeah. yeah. I mean, still, it was in the time. She replied to them. That's yeah. just amazing. It's pretty incredible. She traveled around the country giving lectures on world peace and life at the White House. Her busy schedule gave her the nickname Everywhere Eleanor, which is pretty cute. <laughs> I think it's so incredible, you know, given the time period. She was just so ahead of it. Way ahead of her way, time. Way ahead of it. She also wrote a book about her early life. This is my story. Oh, I might have to look into that. Yeah, one. it's just her early years because mm-hmm. she writes another one in 1961 mm-hmm. that's more, uh, it's an autobiography, just mm-hmm. another, it covers more. Mm-hmm. So, and then I just admire her always aware of others, you know. Yeah. Tr- while traveling the country, she observed black people weren't treated the same as white people. And she wanted to do something about that. So once again, so ahead of her time. Yeah. And we're still working with that today. Exactly. But yeah, she's just aware. That something, yeah. Something. She knew this was wrong. And in 1938, an African-American friend, Mary McLeod Bethune, invited her to a conference in Birmingham, Alabama. The conference was on how to help the poor. And Alabama, of course, at the time was segregated. So blacks and whites couldn't sit next to each other. Instead of observing the rules, Eleanor put her chair in the middle of the aisle between the blacks and the whites. I mean, she was the bridge. I, I just, the, the visual yeah. of that. And is, the strength yeah. to stand up for that and I, to be strong enough to be able to put yourself in that position. I read that, because I've always admired Eleanor Roosevelt, I read that she had a $25,000 bounty on her oh, head by the wow. KKK because of her anti-segregation lectures yeah. that she would give primarily around the South. They yeah. did not appreciate that. And you got to remember, this is like 20 years before the civil rights movement. Once again, so ahead of her time, yeah. not only with women's rights, but just that we're all the same. Right, right. With civil together. rights. Yeah. Two years later in 1940, as World War II raged on, Franklin ran for a fourth term. And something no other president has done. Yeah. And his choice uh, for VP was Henry Wallace. Mm-hmm. And many Democrats weren't happy about him running for that fourth term. And to show their disapproval would not support his choice of VP. So what did they do? They sent Eleanor to the Chicago Convention. <laughs> she should have run. I know. She gave a short speech. The audience apparently felt silent. And then all delegates voted for Henry Wallace. I'm wow. Just, I know. I'm just blown away. Girl power. By, yeah, by her strength and courage. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, women at that time didn't have a voice yeah. like that. She also, well, even thinking of that today. Yeah. I mean. I, lo- I loved how she traveled for a month as FDR's representative and delegate for the Red Cross. Mm-hmm. Charged with, like, reporting the status of the relief organization in the war zone in Australia and New Zealand, which covered, like, tw- this tour was a month, covered 25,000 miles. She visited hospitals, military camps. It was estimated she visited with 400,000 soldiers. Wow. Sometimes bringing messages from home. She said she understood how mothers felt. After all, her four sons served in World War II. And mm. they're in their 20s at this point. Mm-hmm. So everyone's out of the house. But her, her sons served. And um, I think they all came back with honors mm-hmm. and, and uh, So they medals. all survived. Yeah, they all survived. Good. And then on April 12, 1945, it was a very sad day. FDR passed away and the no- nation mourned. And so what's next for Eleanor? She left the White House, spent time with her children, her grandchildren, gardened and read a lot. 
And President Truman asked her to represent the United States at the UN. And of course, oh. yeah, of course she accepted. She became known as the First Lady of the World. I, that's awesome. Yeah. She worked on committees for human rights and education. Uh, later, she helped JFK with his campaign. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah, I thought that was a really fun <laughs> find. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think she even did a speech for him. I so. didn't realize they yeah. even crossed paths. Well, Democratic. You know. Yeah, well, I understand yeah. that part, but I didn't realize they were even in the same time. I know. Frame um, at all. And then she sadly passed away November 7th, 1962 from aplastic anemia, tuberculosis, and heart failure. Hmm. How, do you know how old she was? I think she's 78. Okay, so. And I think that anemia was going on, but the t- tuberculosis, I think they did not diagnose it. Mm. And so she was going... And that eventually led to the heart failure. So it's really kind of really sad. Very sad. But she was working up, like going strong, I think, up until that prior, one year prior, which I thought was pretty cool. I really enjoyed reading about her, learning about her life and her many contributions. I have to say it was exhausting. Keeping up with (laughs) all... Well, reading about her, let alone, can you imagine doing all of that? Yeah, it's pretty amazing. She was a go-getter for Mm -hmm. sure. And I know I'm just scratching the surface and really highlighting the things that really spoke to my heart. I just admire her ability to reach people, all people, the poor, the unrepresented, the those without well, a voice because she did come from an affluent family right but right. and and she could have just gone ahead and lived that type of lifestyle but instead she decided to see what else was out there right I so admire that I, I, yeah and that she had that empathy i just i keep going to back to that word yeah. it was really just really i don't know touched my heart and then that she, the, her ability to influence politicians and make a difference. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's pretty to incredible. Her, that's very impressive. And I love how she, she gave her time to people around her, her husband, her children, and her, mm-hmm. the world, really. Mm-hmm. I have a really cute, fun fact. It's this. It's a Roosevelt house. It's 4749 East 65th in Manhattan, New York. So right after they got married, FDR and Eleanor... FDR's mother, Sarah, built a house. There was two apartments that mirrored each other. And they were connected. And there was like a little entryway. And then they each had, I think Sarah's was on the left. And Eleanor and FDR's were on the right. But I think it was rough for Eleanor because living with your mother-in-law, I mean, and it's like, I think I think Sarah had good intentions. But I've read that she was a bit overbearing. So I think that was really hard. Well, especially because she didn't want them to get married because she right. thought it was too young. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, that already would set him up for some hurt feelings. And Apparently, he gave his presidential acceptance speech there fireside at that oh, apartment, which is okay. kind of fun. Cool fact. After he became president, they sold this house to a nearby college, Hunter College for Women, mm. for a really reasonable mm-hmm. amount. They even donated $1,000 for the school to create a library. Good. Yeah, and Eleanor would frequent the Roosevelt House, mentoring students. And Once then, again, boundless I mean, she, energy. She kept She's going. just everywhere. I, I know. can see why she was nicknamed everywhere, Eleanor. I know. And then later in 2010, it would be renovated into one big building. And their mission was threefold, to educate students in public policy and human rights, to support faculty research, and to foster creative dialogue. Which I, I just love that. And, still, res- yeah, still resonates today. And then hosting conferences and drawing such leaders as John Lewis. Which, I saw this on uh, History Channel. Oh, okay. And they just highlighted this Roosevelt house, and it was cool to see him there. Makes me want to go head east and go yeah. check it out. Yeah. 
So the quote that really spoke to my heart was, you gain strength, courage, and confidence by every experience in which you really stop to look fear in the face. You're able to say to yourself, I've lived through this horror. I can take the next thing that comes along. You must do the thing you think you cannot do. Eleanor Roosevelt. Love that. And I I have to say that really spoke to me this week because I've been feeling a little insecure about Mm -hmm. Our little journey in the podcast and sometimes <laughs> oh. feeling tongue-tied and just yeah. like oh, yeah. I get a that. little sweaty yeah. palm. And I yeah. feel like I'm putting myself out there. Yeah. And, and that really just kind of resonated with well, me. Well, the thing that's funny with you saying that is I just was reading because with Lady Gaga, who's coming ahead in the future, don't be insecure if your heart is pure. And oh, that quote that she yeah. said, I mean, same type of thing. If your heart is right and you're doing what you feel is right and listening to your spirit, then I I feel like you need to be confident in that. So I, I love those. More fun facts about Eleanor Roosevelt. Traditionally, female journalists back then weren't allowed to cover serious events like politics and the presidency. She tried to give female reporters an opportunity by hosting women-only press conferences this caused papers without female reporters to hire women, which is so cool. Smart on her yeah. part. To cover these events. And it also helped gain women voters which for her husband. That's smart. So it's yeah. a win-win. Clever lady. Yeah, for sure. Eleanor was inspired by Amelia Earhart to apply for her own pilot's license. And Earhart... Which Amelia Earhart, I definitely want to I know. Yeah, she'd be good to do. Yeah. Uh, Earhart later took Eleanor on a short impromptu flight from D.C. to Baltimore Eleanor said after Amelia Earhart disappeared in July of 1937 that she believed Amelia's last words would be, I have no regrets. I think that's right. Yeah, Yeah. that is great because we should be living without regrets. Right. Living to the fullest. Yes. Although Eleanor obtained her student's pilot's license, she would never go on to fly on her own because FDR thought it was too dangerous. (laughs) He was kind of worried about her. (laughs) That's cute. Really cute. Uh, Eleanor was also a spokeswoman for margarine. I didn't know that. I mean, after, you know. Which back in the day, yeah. I understand they, you know, they didn't know all that. It's not great, good for it's, you. It's, but they didn't know that. Yeah, she did a TV spot for it in 1959, which paid her $35,000. Really? That wasn't that long ago. I know, which would equal like $315,000. She used all the proceeds to pay for 6,000 care packages for poor families. I love I know. that. Thinking of others. And lastly, she was a primary author of the United Nations Declaration of Human Rights that is still in use today. Oh, I didn't so, know that either. Yeah. So lots to learn about Eleanor Roosevelt. Very cool lady. Several weeks ago, I spoke of Kia Brown, a young lady with cerebral palsy who started a viral sensation with her hashtag disabled and cute, which I started following and they inspire me every day. I'm so happy that for people that have a place to show their confidence, and seriously, it's infectious. You can you you should follow. I them know. On I gotta check it out. Yeah. Um, if you remember, Kia wasn't looking to be an inspiration for able-bodied people. No, she had different perspectives. She definitely did, but wanted to pave her own trail and do amazing things in a disabled body. And I still struggle with this because I'm incredibly inspired by people like Kia refusing to be held back by life's blows. I respect her opinion and feel like it's made me more sensitive to those around me. 
I came across a young man with quite the opposite approach. He's in a wheelchair and looking to inspire anyone and everyone he comes in contact with. Wesley Hamilton was 24 years old and had just won full custody of his toddler uh, toddler daughter, Navia, three months before. One day he was leaving an ex-girlfriend's apartment and was shot in the back by an acquaintance of the former girlfriend. I know. Tragic. He survived, but awoke to the news that he would never walk again. He was on bed rest for two years and found himself overweight and incredibly unhappy. He wanted to set a better example for his young daughter. He started by taking nutrition classes at the local community college. I know, which you know I love because education is, I think that's a great way to change your life. And ended up losing 100 pounds in a year. Oh, man. Wesley says, quote, food is medicine. And he attributes healthy eating to his recovery and weight loss. I guess he used to eat like Big Macs and just think that that was, you know, normal. He just didn't know proper nutrition. His diet was largely limited by his access to food at the grocery store. He made limited recipes based on what he could reach from the shelves. And he could only use certain spices because he couldn't reach ones that were higher up on the shelves. He later learned to expand his food choices and cook healthier and more flavorful foods. Wow. Eight months into his journey towards health, he discovered a wheelchair bodybuilding competition. Wow, that's really cool. I know. He started plotting a foundation called Disabled But Not Really and entered the competition while considering opening a gym. This is a guy who didn't exercise before or obviously after the shooting, but he talked about, you know, he'd run and get out of breath. So he definitely was not a fitness guy before. Now he does pull-ups and rope climbs while still in his chair. He's won numerous bodybuilding competitions and works out six days a week on top of promoting adaptive exercises through his foundation. Disabled But Not Really is a nonprofit utilizing a hashtag help me fit to fundraise and increase awareness for the needs for access to adaptive gym equipment and trainers with education and fitness training for the disabled. There are a lot of barriers to the disabled for utilizing gyms, whether it be access to just simple equipment. They need ramps, wider aisleways, and often equipment cannot be accommodated with wheelchairs or other specialized equipment for the disabled. Wesley also tours parks and makes videos promoting healthy outdoor exercises for the disabled. That's awesome. I know. He's like, if you watch him on any YouTube channel or he did like a TED talk, he's just amazing. He's trying to get the word out that we need more accessibility in parks and other public places for people in wheelchairs. Disabled but not really focuses on empowering individuals with disabilities have limitless mindsets. It focuses on communities of color, as many of such communities have limited access to resources that encourage healthy physical and mental lifestyles. Wesley's Foundation has an outreach program that provides trainers a trailer-sized portable gym to provide adaptive workouts. So they go to places? They do. Well, this, especially with COVID, because they've had to like everybody pivot. The purpose is to showcase how adaptive training can change the lives of the disabled. His he said find your passion, find your purpose. You don't need something yeah. tragic to happen to you to look. Do what you love and figure out what that love will do for you. Oh, which I I that's so great. love that. Yeah. Wesley was also the subject of season 4, episode 2 of The Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, <laughs> which I've, I've watched a little bit with yeah. my kids, but they did a makeover for him and helped make his home more accessible. Oh, yeah. 
The episode is available on Netflix, and it's definitely worth the watch. You should check it out. Watching yeah. him on Queer Eye, his smile and attitude are infectious. I never smiled before I was paralyzed. Oh. Was, wow. was something that he said, which made me think. Leslie talks about how being shot and subsequently paralyzed changed his life for the better, which wow. yeah. says a lot. He says being shot was the best thing to happen to him. As it changed his life and set him on a better path, Wesley grew up in an environment where gangs and dealing drugs were the primary way of earning a living. So he looked up to drug dealers. He saw them as role models, even though obviously they weren't. They were not good role models. But for him, that's that's what he saw. He believed that he could live his life recklessly because he would either end up dead or in prison by his mid-20s. Which I think just a lot of these young men feel that way. At the time he was shot, Wesley was involved in a gang culture. When the incident occurred, he was shot multiple times in the abdomen by someone he didn't even know. For years, he did not know why he was shot. Wow, that's a big thing to have hanging I and know. not be able to process. Especially when it you're in a wheelchair from it. Yeah. The shooter did time, but is now out. Wesley met a shooter for the first time on that show, oh. on Queer Eye. Oh, um, did they arrange that for him, or did he... I'm, I'm sure they did, yeah. yeah some kind yeah, I'm of sure a they did. unveiling there. Um, his shooter claims that he thought Wesley was going to attack him, so he shot first. Oh. So in the gang area, they lived in violence was often a first resort where it was kill or be killed. It's an interesting mindset. Uh, no, we just, I don't even understand yeah. it, but I can't comprehend. But Wesley told his shooter that he forgives him. Oh, yeah. And that the shooting led him to be able to do great things. So I I love I love his heart. About meeting a shooter, Wesley said, to see my shooter and say thank you because now I can be the Wesley Hamilton I was meant to be. Oh. Wow. His mom states that he doesn't let his disability define who he is. Initially she lashed out because he didn't want to be seen as a person with a disability. He didn't want to be you know, have to depend on anyone. But I found strength in my weakness. My daughter used to say it was my Superman chair. So I got to be Superman. Yeah. When I say disabled but not really, I'm proud to say it because I'm living every part of that. He also said, I teach people with disabilities that it's okay to seek to be different, to be comfortable in their own skin. And finally, another quote I love from him. We can't look at anybody differently. It's all about love. Oh, yeah, I'm disabled. He that, yeah. He did. And he said, yeah, I'm disabled, but not really. And I just am so inspired with the love for his daughter and his love for people and trying to better their lives through his experience. Yeah, so cool. My takeaway for this coming week, so I'm trying to come up with some goals and tangible things that I can do is to make my own Be Kind 21. Oh, yeah. Because I don't want to wait until September. Right. (laughs) Yeah, let's get it. It's going. Um, So for the month of April, I'm going to do my own list, and and we'll put it up on Instagram, and I'll work my way through it. Just, you know, random acts of kindness things, ways to spread kindness through the month. And I think that, once again, just spreads. Like and subscribe. Follow Transgential Inspiration on Facebook and Instagram. 